Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Awesome. Well, why don't we stand together and pray as we get started here? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, God, today. We thank you, Father, that has the power to transform us. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. Awesome. So, you know, last week I spoke on, the title of my message was Deconstructing Deconstructionism. And we're talking a little bit about theology and why we believe what we believe. Uh, So hopefully it's not... uh, you know, there was a pastor, actually, who was having a service, and just before service, he said to his uh, church, he said, if you're part of the board, we're having a board meeting after the service, just meet me over there in the foyer. And so the service ended, and he went to the foyer, and his board of director members were there, and he noticed there was a stranger there, someone never, you know, was, wasn't part of the board. And he said, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I'm part of the board. That was the boringest sermon I ever heard. So hopefully, hopefully this isn't too boring because we're going to dig into a bit of theology today. You know, because so many times we hear messages that are really just about application, right? Like, how can we apply this to our lives and how can we live a better life? And we love those kind of messages, but sometimes how many know we need to know we have to have foundation laid? Amen? And so I'm doing that again today, just laying a bit of foundation uh, in the Scripture. There's two things I want to cover today. The first one is the foundation of Christian faith. The foundation of our Christian faith. We need to know why we believe what we believe. And the second is the New, Te- uh, uh, the New Testament, why I believe it's God-inspired. Now, I believe the Old Testament is as well, but I don't have time to get into that. So we're going to talk about these two topics that are very important. And so uh, the question we need to answer as believers in Christ, the first question is, can we explain what and why we believe? Why... why uh, Why are we people of faith? Why do we believe what we believe? This is important, okay? Because in other words, our faith should be explainable. Our faith is explorable and it's explainable. Say explainable, okay? We should be able to give a reason for why we believe what we believe. And when suffering and persecution comes our way, this can cause, it should cause us, it gives us opportunity for our roots to go deeper. It causes us, it should cause us to want to explore deeper into the word, explore deeper why we believe what we believe. Because sometimes when persecution comes, people uh, fall away, right? And we don't want to be those that fall away. We want to go deeper. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, Peter says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Okay, don't be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready. Let's say always be ready to explain it. And so it's important that we can explain why we believe what we believe. And if you'd ask me, Pastor, why do you believe what you believe? It would go something like this, okay? And I want you to understand, I know a lot of people will use the Scripture to try to explain why they believe what they believe, okay? And we can do that. But for most people, you know, um, they, they don't understand that the Scripture is God-inspired. They don't see it as, as something that will help them, okay? But I believe that the use in life uh, and ministry of Jesus can prove the validity of Scripture, 
right? So, so you can either prove Jesus by Scripture or you can prove Scripture by Jesus. It works either way. So it works for the Jew, but it also works for the Gentile, right? Very, very important. See, many only see the Bible today as spiritual ancient writings written by men. They don't understand that it's God-breathed, it's God-inspired, that God had his hand on the authorship of the Scripture. They don't understand that concept because maybe they didn't have a Judeo-Christian background. They didn't grow up like some of us grew up, so they don't understand that whole concept. But, but, uh, so, so sometimes we don't start there. As an evangelist, I have very rarely used the Scripture to get people to believe in Christ. Because I find to go up and say, well, why, you need to believe in Jesus because the Bible says so. You know, you, the Bible says it. Well, what's the Bible, right? They, they don't understand that concept. And I have used, I've used Scripture to explain Jesus, but, but I found there's, there's an even deeper way to go with people, and that is this, is to explain who Jesus is, all right? The Scripture itself isn't enough to save you or to change you. Now, before you throw tomatoes, okay, let, let me explain what I'm talking about here, okay? Because Jesus was dealing with the religious Pharisees and Sadducees of the day. So there were people who studied the Scripture. They memorized most of the Old Testament, okay? The Pharisees, they definitely memorized the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. They understand. They searched the Scripture. And Jesus sat them down and said, boys, he said, you search the Scripture because you think they give you eternal life. That's our next Scripture, John chapter 5, okay? But the Scriptures point to me, okay? So in other words, he's saying the Scripture is a blueprint that, dr- that drives you or leads you to me. I am the answer. And look what he says. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life, Okay, And so, in other words, the Scripture is the roadmap to the Savior. And that's why so many people read the Bible, and if they don't know Christ, and you, you, you look on YouTube and you have all these secular uh, theological people get on there, and they say, well, I don't believe in the Scripture because of this and this and this doesn't lie. They can't understand the Scripture because the Scripture leads you to Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the author. Does that make sense? And, and so the Scripture is the roadmap to the Savior. And Jesus says, I will give you zoe, life. The word zoe, translated from the Greek, actually means absolute fullness of life. To be filled with life, the life of God, it's an essential life. It's an ethical life. It gives you the ability to walk ethically, to, to, to deal with sin in your life, to live a righteous life. That comes through Jesus Christ, right? And so, so those Bible scholars knew the scriptures, but they had no life. And then you had people crawling up to Jesus on their hands and knees and saying, Lord, if you could only come and heal my daughter. Lord, if you would just forgive my sins, would you pray for me? And Jesus said, yes, and he would give them his life. And so the ones without the scripture had the life of God, and the ones with the scripture didn't have the life of God. Amen? And so we see this example in scripture with the blind man who receives his sight. I love that story because there's a guy who's blind, and everybody knows him, and Jesus opens his eyes. And all of a sudden, the religious people, the leaders get him together and they start questioning him. Who healed you? Did you not know it was the Sabbath? You know, the scripture talks about the Sabbath. You're, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus, he's a worker of miracles. So saying a little prayer is working. 
You know, so they're, they're trying to analyze the scripture, but they had no life. And they started questioning, who is this Jesus? Is he really a godly man? Maybe he's a sinner. You know, maybe he's a sinner. He can't be of God because he, why would he do work on the Sabbath? And so they're questioning all this. And the blind guy, the once blind guy, looks at them and says, hey, listen, you know, you guys are scholars. I'm not. Whether or not this man's a sinner or not, I do not know. But what I do know is once I was blind and now I see. And, and so faith is first and foremost experiential. We can experience God. There's many of you in this place, myself included. We can say, one day I was this way, and then I put my faith in Jesus, and the next day I'm this way. I'm not perfect, but I've been depressed, and now I'm not depressed. I was struggling with addiction and sin. Now I'm not struggling with addiction and sin. I was depressed. Now I'm full of joy. How many know our faith is experiential, right? We can experience God. And so sometimes people have an experience first and then explore for an explanation later. You know, my mother, uh, she went to hear a minister. She was a Catholic girl, grew up in the Catholic church, but didn't have a relationship with God. And so she went to hear this evangelist named Ernie Hollins. He was a, he was a convict, had got saved in prison. God changed his life. How many know who I'm talking about, Right. And so she went with her sister and some friends. They went to listen to this. They went to listen to this evangelist. And he shared his story of how he found joy and peace and all this stuff, right? And my mom said, I don't know what he has, but I want it. So at the end, when he said, just say this prayer after me, and he said the sinner's prayer, my mother said the prayer. And for the next two weeks, she couldn't stop weeping. She was crying, and she was all emotional. She's like, I don't know what happened. Like, God moved in, and she was all going on about this experience she had. And my dad, and you heard my dad share some of the story. For the next two weeks, he's like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian because I don't want to cry all the time. Like, he didn't understand it. So then when he gave his heart to Christ two weeks later, he didn't cry. He had you know, his experience, and he got saved. And then they looked for a good church. They got a mentor. They started a Bible study in their church, and they started to explore an explanation for the experience that they had. And sometimes it works that way. Now, other times, people explore and seek explanation before they have an experience. So a few years back, I was in Kingston. There was a, a woman came to church. This was at my friend's church. We were the associate pastors at Impact Church. So she came to church, this woman, loved Jesus. She was the one in the, doing this, right? She loved Jesus. She went to Bible school, became a pastor. But she's sitting in the congregation just worshiping, loving Jesus, and her husband would come and sit beside her, an atheist, and cross his arms. And he came every Sunday because he loved his wife. But he sat there and had no interest. And it's hard to preach to someone who's sitting there like this, looking at their watch. And he sat there week after week, and so we would all, sometimes I'd preach, or Pastor Cameron would preach, and we'd say to him, you know, we'd have an altar call. Come up and give your heart to Jesus. And he would sit there like this. And we thought, when's he going to break? So then we started asking, do you want to accept the Lord? Do you want to be forgiven? I have too many questions. My questions are not answered. My questions are not answered. So we just let him, left him alone. He sat in the Sunday after Sunday, sat with his wife, arms crossed. One day, Cameron gets a phone call. Pastor, can I come see you? Sure. So the guy comes over, opened the door. He said, I've sat and listened to you teach for over a year. All my questions are answered, and I'm ready to get saved. 
Amen? And so it works either way, but the point is there's always an explanation for the truth that we believe. You know, when we look at the historical proof for Jesus, okay, and when dealing with this current generation, this is my habit of dealing with it, um, that haven't grown up with the Bible, is I always point them to the foundation of the Christian faith, and that is the resurrection. The scripture is a roadmap, but the resurrection is the foundation for our faith. And we see in Matthew chapter 28, verse 5 to 7, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has been raised just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has raised from the dead. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. So the angels giving instructions to the women. Listen, I have told you. And so we understand from reading scripture that Jesus appeared to the disciples and he trained the disciples and he talked to them. He gave them the great commission, did all this, and then he was raised up. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, okay, as new disciples to obey all that I command, all the commands I've given you, some of them or all of them. And be sure of this, I am with you even to the ends of the age. So this is, was a direct mission statement from Jesus to his disciples. Now we can adopt it and we should, but this was specific for them. Go and teach everything I taught you. And they're like, he's alive. Okay? And then we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 24... Okay. This is the first sermon that Peter preaches. Look what he says. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus of Nazareth by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. So, so God publicly endorsed Jesus. We have to understand that. And then he goes to say, okay, all right. By doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. These people knew that Jesus was healing people. Some of them maybe were healed themselves. Maybe some of their friends were healed or their peers were healed. They knew Jesus. Jesus shook history, and he was right there. You guys all know this Jesus. Remember the one who was doing miracles that died? They're all like, yeah, yeah, we know. All the people knew who Jesus was. And look what he says here, okay? But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. How would you like that accusation, right? You guys killed him. But look what he says. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grip. And so they were basically there testifying that, listen, Jesus was dead, this Jesus that you all know about, but we're here to tell you he's alive. We're here to tell you that the body is no longer in the grave. This was the foundation that was being laid for the early church. Okay? And then we see Acts chapter 2, verse 32 and 34. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor. So the key was they were all what? Witnesses of what? His resurrection. 
Now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour upon us. So God the Father said to the, God the Son, here's the Holy Spirit. I want you to go and pour it on your people. You see the Trinity working together. John the Baptist says, I'm here to baptize you with water unto repentance. There's one coming who's mightier than I. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so this was the thing. Listen, what you're experiencing now, people being filled with the Holy Spirit, being changed by the power of God, is because Jesus was crucified, but he didn't stay in the grave. He rose from the dead, and now he's pouring out the Holy Spirit on you. Isn't that good news? Okay? And so, so we see this happening in the first sermon, days after the resurrection. Okay? Now, Jesus rose from the dead. The first disciples were witnesses, but one was missing. So how, who was missing? Judas. So they said, we've got to replace Judas. There was two men that they could choose from, so they... They, they, they draw straws, right? Just kind of, could you imagine? Who are we going to pick? Let's draw straws. But there was two qualifications. There was a few qualifications here that had to happen, okay? Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verse 21 to 22, okay? Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, why beginning from the baptism of John? Because... When Jesus was baptized, there's a trivia question. What happened? He went into water. What happened when he came out of the water? Yeah, but what else happened? There was an audible voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Everybody heard it. It was the audible voice of God confirming Jesus as the son of God. So to be an apostle in the first century, you had to hear the audible voice of God confirming Jesus as the Son of God, okay, beginning from the baptism of John, to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must, say must, become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the criteria for apostleship was you had to hear the audible voice of God, and you had to have witnessed the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, because that was the foundation of the early church, that once he was in the grave, but now he's alive forevermore. That's the foundation, okay? And this is what gave them the strength to suffer the persecution that they endured. You and I have not seen the resurrected body of Jesus Christ with our eyes, but the forefathers have. We've seen the resurrection of the Lord in our hearts. Amen? We've experienced the resurrected Lord in our hearts, or should have. And they had the strength to go through immense persecution because of their testimony. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18 to 21, So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. This was the high council. You're never going to do this again. And look what they said. Peter and John replied, Do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have read about in the Scripture. Is that what it says? That's right. 
We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen with our eyes and we've heard with our ears, okay? And so the council threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. Because the people were glorifying God and saying, surely the God that was with Jesus is with these guys. They're doing the same miracles. They're seeing the same fruit. And they were excited and and they were like following these guys. Because they had known the resurrected Lord. And so we understand that the early church followed the teachings of the apostle. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says they continued in the teaching of the apostles. And the apostles taught two things. They taught the commandments that Jesus gave them directly, but they also taught the Old Testament. Because they didn't have New Testament scripture. Hadn't yet been written. Okay? As they studied, they begin to see that Jesus was being revealed in types and shadows throughout the whole Old Testament. And, and, and they, they understood, stuff. They, they, they began to see that 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah uh, was being fulfilled. And they're like, how could this be? Over 300 scriptures were fulfilled just in the life of Christ himself, looking through the Old Testament. Man, that's a prophecy. That's a prophecy. That's a prophecy. So Jesus began to confirm the scripture instead of the scripture always confirming Jesus. Does that make sense to you? And they saw this pattern, and so the, 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 uh, the founding fathers began to write letters to the churches that would link the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it, we got this beautiful book called the Bible. The New Testament is made up of four Gospels, 23 letters. Matthew and Mark was penned roughly 20 to 32 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so 20 to 32 years after Jesus raised from the dead, the book of Matthew was written. So it wasn't even, they didn't have, they didn't, they, it was all oral tradition, okay? John was written 52 years, years later. Acts was written by Luke, who was a physician. In AD 62, this gives us a historical record that ties certain letters to Paul as the writer. So we look at this slide here. Um, we see that Luke thoroughly reviewed the next 30 years in the book of Acts. So A.D. 34, a year after, roughly a year after Jesus rose from the dead, Paul is converted. Now, Paul was an apostle. Why? Because he saw he was going on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute the Christians because he didn't believe in them. And Jesus showed up and clotheslined him off his donkey. Right? Right? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, who you persecute. And he saw the resurrected Lord, and he changed his doctrine immediately and started to preach Christ instead of persecute him. That's why he became an apostle. And then we see here that um, we see in the A.D. 37, he was in Jerusalem, uh, A.D. 46 to 47. He's in Antioch for a year in Jerusalem. Uh, We see in A.D. 48, 49, roughly, his first missionary journey. This is where he wrote the book of Galatians right here. And then we see this timeline going out. We see 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians on his second missionary journeys where they believe he wrote that passage. And there's the book of Acts and chapters. So Luke is, is, is giving us a history of where Paul was and what he was doing, okay? And then we move down to the, uh, the uh, house arrest of Paul because he wouldn't stop preaching the gospel. And he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, right? Uh, 
Philippians, 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy. And so we have a history of when he wrote what he wrote. Why is this important, right? It helps to authenticate Paul's written letters from others. Because up until the third century, the church, um, the church in general, they knew uh, which letters were authentic and which ones were trustworthy. They knew this has, this has the signature of an apostle on it. We can trust these documents, right? We can trust this. The churches knew what was authentic and what wasn't. And then these letters were coming in, like the, uh, the, the letter from uh, Thomas. And then there was another book that was written, the book of, um, what's his name? Judas came in, and there was other ones that were coming in that had a different teaching in them, a different, didn't talk about the resurrection, actually was against the resurrection. And so they said, we can't, we can't take these into our, preach these in our church because it doesn't confirm with our spirit the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And a lot of people don't realize that, and they say, why are these books included? Because they have teaching that's contrary to the resurrection. Because the foundation of the church is the resurrection. Okay, so these false teachers started rising up and writing letters and books that were contrary to the original message of the resurrection. The false teaching of the day, the biggest one was Gnosticism. We'll go to our next slide. Gnosticism's foundational belief was that they held that Jesus's body rotted in the grave just like any other human body would. His spirit was what lived on and ascended to heaven. The resurrected Christ was therefore a purely spiritual being. So any teaching that has Gnosticism in it was never canonized. So I'm answering the question for you. Why are certain books not in the New Testament? Because they had Gnostic roots or other roots that went against the resurrection. All right? So the process of canonization, next slide. The first canon was the Muratorian canon, which was compiled in A.D. 170. And this one included all the New Testament books except Hebrew, James, First and Second Peter, and Third John, because they wanted to confirm the authorship of those books. They weren't yet confirmed. The second was the Council of the Laodicea in A.D. 363. Okay. Um, the third one was the Council of Hippo. This one was really heavy. This was a heavy council. You get it? It affirmed all the same 27 books as authoritative. And then the fourth one, the fourth council, the fourth was the Council of Carthage. And this was in AD 397, and this is where we get the compiling of our Holy Bible because these church leaders got together. Now, the books that were put in the canonization, they had to uh, pass certain tests. These are the tests. We'll go to the next slide. Okay, number one, was the author an apostle or had a close connection with an apostle? Don't go too quick on me here, Brian. Now, why is this important? Because, like, okay, let's say you want to know about your great, great, great grandparents, okay? And there's two books available that you can read in the bookstore. One was written by your great, great, great grandparents' daughter, right, which is a relative, about the life of them. The other book is written by a peer who spent one year of grade school with your father. Great, 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 great. Which one would be more accurate? Which one would you want to read? Right. So this is one of the things. It had, they had to be able to prove that it, the authorship was from an apostle. They didn't want an opinion that wasn't full. 
okay? So there had to be apostolic authority. There had to be apostolic association, okay? Number two, is the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large? So when the scriptures were being read at church and people were going, ooh, I don't like that. I don't feel good about that. That doesn't sit right with me. Then they were like, we're not putting this in the Bible. But if people were like, yes, this connects. It's moving me towards righteousness. I, I like this. Then that had to pass that test. Number three, did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? Was it consistent with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ? Number four, did the book bear evidence of a high moral and spiritual values that would reflect the work of the Holy Spirit? Okay? And so the church was part of the canonization process. Does this make sense to you guys? And this is so important. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17, let's go to that next verse here. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That a man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Word of God is awesome. And we can prove the Scripture through the life of Jesus Christ as much as the Scripture can prove the validity of His life. Does that make sense? And you say, well, what secular people have argued and said, well, what if, what if the disciples of Jesus actually lied? What if they were just trying to build a following? And what if they lied? What if, what if they stole the body? Like, what if they actually stole the body and they actually, they were lying the whole time? Well, the, the reality is, let's look at this next slide because I think this is important. Because they were willing to lay down their lives for the gospel. This is how they died. Simon Peter, okay, crucified upside down, okay? He died in 33 to 34, 33 and 34 years after the death of Christ. Peter went to Rome and converted thousands into Christianity, okay? Nero was so upset, he was burning Christians, turning them into candles on his porch. Um, he was feeding them to lions and dogs. He, he was an evil, evil king. And he captured Peter and said, we're going to crucify you. And, and Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. And he died on a cross. Now, listen, if I was Peter and I was trying to build my own ministry and I knew where the body was, I'd be like, you know what? This is just all a joke. <laughs> Jesus is still in the ground, right? Like, he died for his faith in the resurrection. He wasn't afraid of death. Why? Because he's seen Jesus overcome it, so he didn't care. I will overcome death. I'm going to follow my master. The next one, let's go to the next one. James the Great was beheaded. Number three, John was thrown into boiling oil but survived. Andrew crucified upside down on an X-shaped cross. Philip was crucified. Bartholomew skinned alive and beheaded. And, 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 and talking about proof here, I'll show you something here. We have let's keep moving anyway. Matthew was burned to death. Jude was sawed or axed to death. Thomas was impaled by a spear. James and Alphaeus stoned and clubbed to death. I mean, these guys laid down their life and they were told, you need to deny that Jesus, that you saw Jesus resurrect. You need to deny it. I can't. 
I saw him. He talked to us. He trained us. He talked to us after he rose from the dead. I cannot deny it, even to the death. So I will trust the testimony of people that are willing to lay down their life rather than some Gnostic teaching who came and just taught his ideas but was never willing to lay down his life for them. Can I hear an amen? Awesome. Why don't we stand? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you, first and foremost, Father, for the fathers of the faith, the the first apostles that laid down their lives and were not willing to, to be fearful, but laid down their life for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to prove that they believed. And because of that, we're here today. Many of us are here today because they were not willing to lay down what they believed to be true. They seen it. They heard it. And Father, we benefit from it today because we see Jesus in our hearts. We see him in our lives. And we know that he's raised from the dead. The resurrection power of Jesus is in this place right now. And you know, if you're in this place right now with every head just bow and every eye closed, and you say, I don't know. I've never received this Zoe life. I've never received Jesus in my heart. I want to know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit poured into my life. I want to know what it's like to be forgiven of all my sins because the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you don't know that if you were to die today, you'd go to be with Jesus. I want you to lift up your hand right now. We're going to pray with you. If you're following us online, I want you to lift your hands up. God sees your heart right where you are. And we're going to pray. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead. I want you to be my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Pour out your spirit upon my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.